Well, good morning, uh, everyone. I want to start this morning by bringing us back to 2009, uh, to the world record that was set that year for the 100-meter sprint at the World Championships uh, in Berlin. Uh, I'm talking here as if I know anything about it, but I had to Google all of this. Uh, I know nothing about any of these things. Uh, my wife was here at the first service. She was able to keep me right with all of this, but now I'm feeling slightly more nervous. Uh, anyone remember who broke the record? Absolutely. Um, I did know that, actually. Um, so let's have a watch uh, of the video. Uh, and Powell, four, five, and six. They're away. Terrific start by Daniel Bailey. Usain Bolt, though, getting into his running. Here he comes. Usain Bolt, challenged by Tyson Gay. Usain Bolt, two clear metres. Tyson Gay in second place. And in third place, the Safa Power. 9.58! Smashing the world record. Unbelievable! Unbelievable indeed. And the, the, the thing that I find really interesting uh, about that, and one of the, the commentators actually picks up on it, uh, if, you, if you could hear it there during the clip, is that Bolt didn't actually start terribly well uh, on that occasion. But within a few seconds, he leaves the whole field for dust and he strides towards this great historical moment. And in fact, just towards the end, uh, between the 60 and 80 meter point uh, in that race, he was clocked at running uh, an absolutely amazing, staggering 44.7 kilometers per hour. The reason I wanted to begin there this morning and to have a think about uh, that race and his particular speed that he, um, that he built up, a real kind of effect of momentum, you know, not starting terribly well, is that Bolt himself has said many times that he is not someone who is the quickest starter off the blocks at any of the races that he takes part in. And he once said something quite famous. He once said, there are better starters than me, but I'm a strong finisher. And that's for him the reason why uh, he um, is such an accomplished athlete. Now this is important, I think, because life itself has been described on many occasions as being a little bit like a race. And just as in races, uh, in athletics, it's not actually how we start that's the most important thing. It's ending well that counts. And that's why I think it's important that we think of life not so much as a sprint, but as something of more akin to a long distance endurance race. There are big stretches in life and seasons in life, we all know this, where you just need a little bit more strength and a little bit more resilience and a little bit more endurance than in others. And I think also as we go through life, it can be quite easy for us to take our eye off the finishing line. It's really, easy for us to get distracted uh, in life. It's really easy for us to fall into these patterns whereby we kind of get consumed by everything going on around us here and now, and we lose sight of the big picture of life. And it's really important that we, that we don't do that. The Bible uses this um, sort of analogy of running quite a few times to describe life. The Apostle Paul, nearing the end of his life, wrote this in his letter to Timothy. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I think that's absolutely amazing uh, to be able to to write those words as someone is approaching the the end of their life uh, and to think about it in those terms uh, and to say, do you know what? Life wasn't always good. There were moments that came along. There were challenges that came along, but I have finished the race and I have kept the faith uh, the whole way through. And the prize, according to God's word, that waits for us if we do that is this great crown of righteousness that we inherit uh, into eternal life. That isn't always easy to do uh, by any means. Paul is saying to us here, keep your eye on the prize. That's a really important thing. Keep the faith. Don't give up. Have that long distance perspective that helps us to ensure that we don't make foolish decisions in the short term. Foolish decisions that threaten to rob us of that crown of righteousness, that crown of glory, that life everlasting that is promised to us. But you know, there are lots of things that come our way in life that can threaten to take us away from that. And they come all the time at us. And they can have really major implications for us, but also for those that we love. So as we take a look this morning at the life of Solomon, The great tragedy of his life is that it started off really well. He was someone who successfully removed rebellion. He was seeking God. He was building the temple at last. He led his people effectively, but he did not finish well. And his failure to finish well has huge implications for him personally, but it has huge implications also for the entire nation of Israel. So I'd really like us to spend just a few minutes this morning looking at some of the factors that caused uh, Solomon's life to go from starting so well to finishing so badly and to thinking about what we today can learn from all of that and how we might apply the lessons of this story to our lives. At the heart of the downfall, At the big turning point in his life, there is a warning from God. And it's a warning from God to Solomon, but it's a warning from God to each of us about how our lives can begin to slide downwards into failure if we are not careful. Solomon asks for and is blessed with incredible wisdom. And yet he still, with all of this wisdom, failed to pay attention to the fact that some of the decisions and choices that he made were in fact leading him down this path to ruin. He couldn't see it at the time. Now, if that can happen to someone like Solomon who is blessed with all of this incredible wisdom, how much can it also happen to us today that if we are not careful, we too can end up going down a path that leads to ruin. And that is not God's will for any of us. But that's why the Bible teaches us 
about these stories and tells us to learn from them uh, and tells us to look out for the warning signs. We've got to pay attention to these things because the consequences are huge. So God's warning in the reading that we had today from 1 Kings 9 is something that we've got to take, I think, really seriously. Solomon starts off, as I say, really well. Following King Saul, King David, um, he was only about 19 years of age when he took up the role of king. Um, clearly a huge responsibility, but you know, when God called him, as when he calls anyone to a position of responsibility, he gave him all of the gifts and equipping that he needed uh, to do all of that. And so Solomon at the beginning successfully withstood an attempt at this hostile takeover by his older brother. Um, under uh, his leadership, Israel rose to its peak in size and glory. Uh, his reign lasted about 40 years, and it was all going really well, and God gave him everything that he could possibly ever want and ever need. But there was one condition attached to it, just one and the condition was this. God said to him, I'm going to give you all of these things, but you have to pay close attention to how you operate in life. And he puts it like this. As for you, God says to him uh, from today's reading, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness as your father David did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. For I made this promise to your father, David, one of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel. So there's a condition attached to it. And God is telling Solomon clearly that his way of life needs to reflect an attitude and a heart of obedience to God if he is to prosper. And he then goes on to tell him, but if you or your descendants abandon me, if you disobey the commands and decrees I've given you, and if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot Israel from this land that I've given them. I will reject the temple that I've made holy to honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations." So this is big stuff. Only one, one condition, but it's the consequences are massive. I think one of the things that we have seen through reading Immersed Kingdoms uh, in this season and, uh, and even some of the earlier stuff that we read towards the end of last year is that God, thankfully, does not look for perfect people to do his will because he knows that no human being who has ever trod on the surface of this earth uh, is perfect apart from one, Jesus Christ. All of the great leaders we've read of, most recently King David, all of them have had their flaws. Just as all leaders today have their flaws. So God's not looking for perfection, but there is something he's looking for, and we've got to really pay attention to this. What he's looking for time and time again is those whose attitude is right. Those whose heart is right. Those who recognize their faults, turn away from their faults, those who make every effort to obey God's commands, those who seek to honor him in their lives. 
but he's continually looking at the heart. And he's looking at our hearts today. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago that the Lord said to Samuel, the Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Solomon starts off with his pure heart. He establishes his rule. He takes up his place as king. God appears to him in a dream and says, what do you want? Ask, I'll give it to you. Solomon could have asked for anything, power, might, riches, big military army. He doesn't ask for any of these things. His heart is pure. In humility, he says this back in chapter 3. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? And we're told that God was really pleased with that request. I think it's really amazing uh, every time I read that. Uh, I mean, can you imagine if, you know, the various situations that we are in uh, in life, uh, be it in family life, in community life, in work life, and whatever it is that we do uh, in life, uh, you know, we all have responsibilities uh, in various ways in life. Can you imagine praying that prayer every morning? Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern or I can lead well and know the difference between right and wrong. Can you imagine if every leader in the world prayed that every day? Can you imagine the difference? Can you imagine how different the world would look if we all lived in that way? An honest, humble heart is the heart of a person who seeks to act with integrity in accordance with God's commands and purposes, no matter what the circumstances. But you know, that is why it is so important that we learn to guard our hearts. To pray that prayer as Solomon did saying, Lord, help me to know the difference between right and wrong. Correct me if I've got something wrong because I don't exercise any authority here on earth except by your will. The reality is that our hearts every one of our hearts can become easily corrupted. They can become corrupted through power. They can come corrupted through putting other things before God, such as money or status. They can be corrupted through temptation. They can become corrupted through not responding well to the trials and temptations and storms of life um, through lots of ways. There are lots of ways, not following God's commands. All of these ways mean that our hearts can become corrupted. But what happens when, if they become corrupted is that bad decisions flow and bad results are the consequence of those bad decisions. For Solomon, everything starts to go wrong when he begins to make compromises in his heart. His wealth accumulates. He starts to get all of these gifts from people, including from the Queen of Sheba. He becomes increasingly obsessed by his own status and his own self. 
He invests more and more time and more and more money in the palace that he built for himself than he does worshiping God in the temple or looking after his people well. He builds this huge throne for himself. He marries all these women from other countries, even though God had expressly told him not to do that because they would turn his heart to pagan gods. And of course, as night follows day, that is exactly what happens. And we see Solomon start to build these pagan shrines and worship other gods. Because there's this arrogance that comes over him. He decides that he wants to do life his own way. He wants to forget about the clear instructions that God had given him about how to live. And the result of all of that is that his heart is turned away from being faithful to God. God saw his heart. And we know the consequences. God sees our hearts. And no, we won't be perfect. But when we willingly start to do our own thing in spite of the warnings that we get, then the lesson of Solomon is that we are headed down a very dangerous path. But it is not God's will that any of us should head down a very dangerous path. We just need to be aware of these things. We read in chapter 11, the Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. Now, the reality of life is that we flawed human beings, we do not always keep all of our promises to each other or to God. But God always keeps his promises to us. And he promised Solomon that he would take away his kingdom if he disobeyed him. And it is the same for us today. God keeps his promises to us. When we choose self-rule over God's rule, thinking we know best and ignoring his instructions on how we should live our lives, we shouldn't be surprised when things start to go wrong. And it's the same whether it be in our individual lives in terms of the responsibilities that we have for ourselves and for others around us. It's the same in the life of nations uh, when leaders begin to make very bad per uh, decisions. Uh, do not be surprised when you see chaos all around you in life. This is how it works. The reality and the tragedy of Solomon's life is that he failed to comprehend his sins in spite of his wisdom. He was blessed as the wisest person to rule his kingdom when God appeared to him, and yet he could not use that blessing wisely. He was placed in a powerful position, yet he could not lead with fairness or love. He did not lead his people with fairness or love. He burdened them with taxes to pay for his lifestyle and he couldn't control his greed, and he spent all of his wealth on this luxurious palace. So this story is really important for us because it represents the case of a life that is in the first half lived wholly for God. But then in its second half, a life that goes disastrously wrong. Why? Because the heart becomes corrupted and he has all of these divided loyalties. And as he gives his loyalties to things other than God, he begins to lose the kingdom that he worked so hard 
to attain. Now, we live today in a society where our hearts can easily be corrupted, perhaps even more so than in years gone by, where there are all sorts of temptations to put all sorts of things before God, where, you know, life can be draining and difficult, and sometimes we come up against that ultimate temptation, which is the temptation to give up altogether uh, in following Christ. And the decisions that we make in those moments have massive implications, not just for ourselves, but for others too. Because we all have our own little kingdoms. There are those places and spaces in our own lives where we exert leadership, be it in family life, in community life, in workplace life, in groups that we're part of, whatever it might be. We're leaders in different ways in different places. We also have responsibility for how we lead our own lives as individuals. But we need to be aware of how we do that. And we need to keep our eyes fixed. Not, I would suggest, in any of the little kingdoms of this earth, whatever they may be, in any of the power structures of this earth, that should not be where our ultimate loyalty resides. We've got to be people who keep our eyes focused on the values of God's kingdom. Because that is where our primary citizenship is. That is the kingdom that we have signed up to. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And what he's saying to us here, loud and clear, is that our priorities and our values, unlike Solomon's at the end of his life, our priorities and our values should all flow from having a heart that is in tune with God's own heart. And what that means is that we've got to be mindful of the temptations and the corruptions and all of the forces and factors that can divide our hearts because what are they designed to do? They are designed to tear us away from God's own heart. So we have got to be people who are alert, who are wise to the danger of falling away, who begin to understand that voice in our heads that tells us that it's okay to live life our own way and do our own thing. We've got to be alert to the danger of falling away from the paths that God wants us to be on. And we've got to be people who are vigilant about attitudes in our head that tell us that we can somehow do life our own way and all will be fine. I appreciate that there's a huge challenge uh, in this story of Solomon for all of us. But we, 
the consequences of it are so important that we need to be aware of that. But there's also great mercy. There's also great encouragement that I think emerges from this as well. Because ultimately, what we've got here is the story of one king with his reign, with his highs and lows. And the Lord, in his word, points us to the deficiencies of human leaders and the decisions that they make and the consequences of all of that. But implicitly, and as people of the New Testament who read right through, what this story does is it invites us to make a comparison. It invites us to make a comparison with a greater king still, with a king who will never fail us, with a king who will never burden and oppress his people, with a king who will never let us down, with a king whose heart will never be corrupted, because he has given his very heart, his very life for us. King Solomon and his kingdom, with all of its shortcomings, are a pale shadow of the values of Christ, the King of kings, whose kingdom, the one to which we and which we are citizens, the one to which we give our loyalty, is one in which selfless love, not selfish ambition, selfless love, the giving of himself for others, is the defining characteristic. We serve a king who is not obsessed by the pursuit of power, who is not obsessed by what it means to live for the self, but instead selflessly gives of himself even to the point of death so that his followers, you and me, might have lives of purpose and joy and fulfillment and peace, not just in this life, but for the life to come in all eternity. And all because his heart is one of love and mercy and grace for us. But he also tells us how we should live. And he tells us that like Solomon, the rule hasn't changed. We must put God first in everything. And he goes on to tell us in the new command that we must follow his lead of loving those around us, not using our little kingdoms to fall away from the values of godliness. So I think it is good but it is challenging and it is not easy for us to examine our heart from time to time, but I think it's really important that we do it. I think it's really important that we check every so often that we haven't been diverted or distracted from undivided loyalty to God and to his values. I think it's really crucial that from time to time, we just take a moment, if something's going on, if we're making certain decisions, if there's a little feeling in your heart that something isn't quite right, that we take a moment to ask God, as Solomon did in the early part of his life, to guard our hearts, to ensure that we would love him and make good decisions. I think it's good that we take opportunities to ask God to purify our hearts and ensure that from that purification flows love for one another as Jesus commanded. I think it's crucial 
that we are those who put aside and learn to put aside everything that hinders us from that and put aside the corruption, the self-centeredness and all the ways of the world that kind of like thorns can grow up and can choke our very hearts. But you know, Jesus in his mercy is always open to that. That is the wonderful story and the wonderful context in which we live, that he promises to help us in that, that his will is not for us to go down wrong paths, but he does encourage us and prompt us and invite us every so often to check that our decisions are good, to check that our hearts are right, to check that we are following in his will, to check that we are following his commands, to check that we aren't heading down a path that is ultimately going to lead us to destruction. And so in his mercy and in his grace, Today, let's be people who just re-examine our lives and take a moment to recommit to finishing well, not to be people who are undone by stumbling blocks, to be people who have discernment to see the stumbling blocks, and to be people who run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge that reading through so many of these stories in the Old Testament can be really challenging, and the story of Solomon, Lord, is a really difficult story for us to read. And Father, we give you thanks for for the good things in it and for the the good influence and leadership that was uh, demonstrated there. And Lord, we pray that as we read the story of the second half of his life, Lord, that you would turn it to good, that you would bring good out of that, and that we as people reading this would would learn from the lessons of all of that, Lord, to to guard our hearts and to be people who who have undivided loyalties to you. So, Father, I just pray that you would, even just in the silence and the stillness now for a brief moment, if there are things in our hearts that we need to get right, that you would just, by the power of your Spirit, draw them to our attention. And if we've wandered down a path that is not a good path recently, Lord, that you would Show us your will and show us your way. And that you would give us your assurance, Lord, that you're not here to condemn us, but you are here that we might have everlasting life. And that that everlasting life would begin now. So, Father, I just pray that you would increasingly make us people who are aware of the challenges in life. People who know your grace and your mercy and the fact that we can always turn back to you that your goodness is better than any of the silly mistakes that we have ever made. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who finish the race, finish it well, and keep the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.